please, to the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, the book of Ephesians, chapter 3. If you forgot your Bible today, and the book rack right there is a Bible, I think it's on page 787. We're working our way through the uh, book of Ephesians, not verse by verse, but at least chapter by chapter. Uh, the Apostle Paul is writing here from house arrest in, in Rome. The story of that is in Acts 28. Uh, he is chained to a Roman soldier, but still he writes on. Uh, he is incarcerated. He can't leave, but people can come to him. And he can receive everybody that wants to come to him, and you know what they get when they come. They get a message that uh, changes their life. And when they go out from his little house that he was incarcerated in, uh, they become uh, carriers of the good news. And so in verse number 8, we're going to begin today reading Ephesians 3, 8, To him who am who less than the least of all the saints... For those of you who like to underline in your Bible, I want to encourage you to underline that statement because that's really important, less than the least. Paul says, when you think of me, I don't want you to think very highly of me. Uh, whenever you look around the Christian scene and look at all the churches and see all the people, uh, whenever you find the, the least believer, look down, you'll find me. I'm less than the least. Um, to me who am less than the least, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. It wasn't because of anything that I did. Uh, it was because this was God's calling on my life. God was going to bless me in an extraordinary way to live a life that would uh, be worth living. A life that after I lived it, I wouldn't be ashamed of it. I would be proud of it. And my message was going to go out to the Gentiles, this lost world, this world without Christ, but the world that lies in darkness. Verse 9, to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. He said, this message I have is going to be couched. It's going to be centered in the church. And the church is going to display the wisdom of God. Boy, that, that is a thought that it just challenges me. When the world looks in at the church, does the church display the wisdom of God? Does the church have a different standard? Does the church rise to a different level? Are there more commitments in the hearts of church people than there are in the world? Now, I know that all of us uh, would like to think that there, there, there is but here there's something interesting that I just noticed for the first time when reading this verse. The church was not only to display the wisdom of God to the world, but it was to display the wisdom of God to the invisible world. Look at it. To the principalities and powers in heavenly places. Now, there is not only an audience for the church in our community, but there is an audience for our church in the heavenly places. Even though you and I can't see there, they can see here. And these angels, good and bad, are watching us. And God is displaying to his angelic host of the wisdom that he has and the marvelous message that he has emanating from the church. 
Verse 11 says, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore I ask you, do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is for your glory. I love verse number 1 of chapter 3 because it talks about why Paul's in jail. I guess he could have said, these Romans, they're really against me. Uh, My Jewish prosecutors and persecutors in Israel, they're against me. But he says, you know, the real reason I'm in jail is because the Lord, the Lord wants me in jail. The Lord has designed for me this jail cell in which I stand. Look back at verse number one. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. I am the prisoner of Jesus. It's it's the Lord who led me here. Uh, I love the verse in Psalms that says the steps of a good man are what? Ordered by the Lord. And so when you and I get up in the morning, we say, okay, we say, okay, Lord, here we go. We have to believe that here we go. It's not just me, but it's him. It's us together. And so, and so he, he always leads us in paths of righteousness. But he never, he sometimes leads us in difficult places. You know, you would think today with the preaching and teaching that there is in our world today that that when a person accepts the Lord, it's supposed to be some easy road. Listen, you can't get that out of the Bible anywhere. Uh, remember when Paul was, when the Lord was talking to Ananias, he said, Ananias, I want you to go to Straight Street, by the way. And, and uh, Saul was over there. We have ours, they had theirs. I want you to go over to Straight Street because there's a blind man over there and he's going to be filled with the Spirit. He's going to have his eyes open. And I'm going to tell him how many things he must suffer for my name. Boy, I'll bet that was a lesson from God. Saul, I'm going to change your name to Paul, and I'm going to tell you how many things you're going to suffer. Um, God's way is not always easy, but but it's always right. He always leads us in the right path. I tell people all the time, God will never lead you in the wrong direction. He will always give you the right direction. And you know, that's so thrilling because it's the right direction that makes our lives worth living. Uh, We counsel people all the time that if, that's been led in the wrong direction. Their lives are broken. Their hearts are broken. Their families are broken. Uh, Quite to the contrary, when we follow the Lord, He keeps our lives together, our families together, our sanity together. He is the great uniter. And here He says, uh, For this reason I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Now, this is important right here. Uh, It didn't say that God was going to lead you out of trouble. In fact, he may lead you just like Paul into trouble. But the the determining, the the thing that is so great is he'll strengthen you in the inner man to face your trouble. And we see this all the time in the church. We We see people having hard times, reversals, all sorts of things. But, but, let, but yet God is making them strong in the inner person and they're able to face whatever Satan in the world throws against them. Here he says, I'm praying that you'll be strong in the inner man. It's the inner man that counts. It's our walk with Christ that counts. And I love verse number 17. That Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. I'd like to talk to you this morning about waking up the world. That's what God called Paul to do. There's no way that I could explain to you how dark the world was then 
Now, you and I, we turn, in, we turn on the television today and we see a dark world, don't we? Unless we watch Fox News, that is. We see the, the truth. Uh, we see a dark world. Uh, and when we know the real truth, it even gets darker. The world says, listen, this is wrong and wrong is right and right is wrong. And the tragedy is many people believe that. Uh, and so uh, we look at our world today in darkness. I'll tell you what, the world was really in darkness when Paul came along. It really was. And God looked down on this man who considered himself the least of the saints, the last of the apostles. And he says, listen, I want you to go wake up this dead world. Wow, what a job. Who is this person who, that God chose to wake up the world? Why did he refer to himself this way? Well, 1 Corinthians 15.9 uh, is the verse we want to read off the screen together, okay? For I am the least of the apostles. I am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Ah, here we have the reason, right here. I persecuted the church of God. Uh, Paul couldn't shake this. Now, for those of we know a little bit about his persecution. We really do. Uh, we knew that uh, that he was the... Grand Inquisitor. Uh, he was the person that arrested Christians and was responsible, according to his own words, with their death. And so, you know, we teach each other that we're supposed to forgive ourselves for the past. And that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Uh, whenever a person is uh, saved, the Lord lifts the burden of sin right off of us. And sometimes we are on this euphoric high for a little while. Isn't it nice? But then we come down, right? Life gets real again. Uh, the Lord lifts our sins from us, and the Bible says he forgets them. Somehow he has that ability. And, some and somehow we don't have that ability. And uh, every now and then uh, our past life slows us down because we begin to think about it and roll it over in our mind. Well, I think Paul kind of, kind of learned how to deal with that according to Philippians 3.13. He said, listen, look at me. I do not count myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Paul said, this is the way I live my life. I have to close the door on the past and I have to move on into the future. Uh, that's the best way for everyone to live their life. Uh, the past comes back to haunt us, to strangle us, uh, to depress us. Paul said, I'm so busy serving the Lord, I just kind of keep my eye on the goal of serving Christ. You know, in our world, uh, our busyness sometimes, it's a curse and a blessing. I know that there are many people in our church today, and you say, boy, I wish I wasn't as busy as I, I am busy. Well, you know, busyness is not all that bad, because idleness is the devil's what? I'll tell you what, when you slow down, all sorts of bad things start to happen to you. Uh, Paul said, listen, I'm so busy going in the right direction that I have very little time to open the door to the past. But every now and then I do. And he said, listen, whenever you think the apostles and you think of Peter and John and all these other people that were named apostles, when you get down to the bottom, you put my name right down there. And the reason why is because I persecuted the church of God. Now, the Lord forgave him of that, but I don't think he completely forgave himself from that. Now, why did he say, I'm less than the least of the saints? I think he said it because... He was trying to tell you and me that if God could use him, he could, he could use anybody. 
You know, when you're the less than the least, that's pretty, that's like down there, isn't it? And you know, you look at yourself and you say, oh no, I thought I was less than the least. No, Paul said he was. He wants that title. And, you know, we beat ourselves up and we say, listen, I'm not very talented and I'm not very articulate and I'm not very bright and I'm not very... And we go on and on and on and Paul says, listen, stop, stop. Look at what God did through this vessel. And so if God could use him, he could use you. I think also it demonstrates his humility. Paul could have been a very proud man. You know, here God called him to this great task. Go wake up the world. The world is in darkness, Paul. You take the light out there and you shine it around and you try to bring the light to this dark world. Paul could have been very proud, but he wasn't. Uh, He kept everything in perspective. He said, this is all by the grace of God. And boy, I love those verses in 1 Corinthians 15. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Let's say it together. By the grace of God, I am what I am. We are what we are by God's grace. And Paul said, listen, don't give me any credit. I'm less than the least. I'm the last on the list of the apostles. Now, what message did God use with this messenger? The message he delivered is found in verse 6. So look back there, please. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel... By means of the gospel. What a wonderful thing. You know, if you use the word gospel today, people don't know what, you, what you're talking about. They really don't. Years ago they did because we talked that language in the church. But the word gospel, if the people you're talking to need a definition, means good news. And, you know, that's what makes the church so great. And the church is a center of good news. It really is. You know, people are watching the news. They get more depressed. Every, every news show, it's like it gets worse and worse. I have to just, like, back off. I, I told Joanne the other day, I've got to take a break, man. This is blowing my brain. Uh, it's all bad. It's all bad news. But, you know, the message that changes the world and wakes up the world is the good news. And the good news, I know, what you, know, I know you know it. 1 Corinthians 15. Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. He was buried and then he rose again according to the Scripture. That's the good news. The greatest story ever told about the greatest person who ever lived, about the greatest offer ever made. I'll tell you, that's good news. The good news is that uh, Jesus came and went to the cross for you. He became your substitute. You don't have to die and be separated from God because Jesus was. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I guess if we could record an answer for that, God God the Father would have said, I have forsaken you for the sake of those that I love on earth, those who will believe in me. Uh, What a message. God has done everything in the world to keep us from going to hell by sending his son, Jesus Christ. There's not anything left that needs to be done in order to keep us out except our faith in him. This is the greatest story ever told. You know, and it has power. Uh, If you just tell it, it has power. It really does. Boy, I'll tell you, God has just been doing something so neat in our church just in the last week. I can't believe it. You know, churches go through dry dry times, and, and you know, where there's people who aren't coming to Christ too regularly, you know, and still we march on because the Bible says, uh, don't grow weary in well-doing. For due season, you'll reap if you don't get discouraged and quit. And so we march on. And just this last week, it's like God opened the windows of heaven. And I'll tell you what, it 
It's just been incredible. Uh, people have been coming to Christ. And the reason why they're coming to Christ is because of the power of the gospel. It's not because of our personality. It's not because of the impression that we're making on them. It is the power of the gospel. The simple message that Christ died for their sins. And, and, you know, people really don't understand that. They just think, well, Christ died for the sins of the world, not me. And so when they learn to personalize it, that's when things change. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It evokes a decision from people. Either people are attracted or repelled. Uh, we, had a, we had a lady come here last night, our Saturday night service. I had an appointment with her and the person that was supposed to come with her for counseling. Uh, she was back again this morning. She was here last night. After the service, I talked to her. I, I haven't seen a sad person like that in a long time. And she told me her story of woe. And she said, listen, she said, I prayed that God would show me the way. And I said, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I had this cool privilege to take her down the old road to the cross and to show her that she just didn't come here for counseling. She came here for salvation. She came here for salvation. She was the first person back here at the church this morning. She sat way back in the back by herself back there. She came early, not late like some of you. She came early. I just could not resist that. I'm sorry. Forgive me for that. Forgive me. Uh, She came early. She sat back there this morning by herself, and here came Darlene Barner bouncing in the church, you know with all of her joy. And Darlene looked at her and said, Hi, Diane. I worked with her at Giant Eagle. And I said, Darlene, you adopt her and take her up and sit her in the front of the church. And so she did. And I told her last night, I said, I don't know whether it would be appropriate or not, or, or not but if you get up in the morning, and I said, what you get out of the message tonight? She said, not much. <laughs> I said, I says, why don't you come back in the morning and hear the message through new ears? And she did. She heard it with a new clarity. Because last night, she threw herself into the arms of a loving Savior. She didn't expect to come to church for that. She was coming for another reason. But the power of the gospel just opened her heart. Uh, It has the greatest blessing ever offered. Look down at verse number 8. Verse number 8. To me who am less than the least of all the saints, that grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles. Look at this. The unsearchable riches of Christ. This is my message. My message, of course, is the gospel. And then I have to tell people about all the unsearchable riches, the infinite, inexhaustible riches of Christ. And what is, what is the one that, that is most prominent in that, whole, in that whole story? It's Christ in you. That's what it is. Colossians 1.27. I think we have that. Let's read this off the screen, okay? To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, 
which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What a statement. God called me to wake up the world to tell them that the Messiah, Christ, could be in them. This is such a foreign thought. Because remember, God was always that faraway person, that person that everyone was afraid of. But now God becomes flesh and then he becomes spirit, his Holy Spirit. And he comes to live in people's hearts and he is not far away any longer. He is close at hand. Uh, I love Romans 8 9. It says that he that has not the Spirit of God is none of his. And so Paul has this tremendous message. Now, of course, it was a, it was a message way beyond his ability because it's called infinite. It's called unsearchable. Uh, and even with Paul's intellect, he couldn't handle that. Um, he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to tell the world about this. And then there was the church he used to wake up the world. Uh, you know, the church, we look at the church and we say, boy, it's not, sometimes it doesn't have its act together. Sometimes things don't work right. You know, Murphy's Law often works good in the church. You know that? You know what Murphy's Law is? It can go wrong. It will go wrong. <laughs> Sometimes it works in the church very well. Uh, but, you know, as, as inept as sometimes we think we are, we're probably a lot more potent than we think we are. Because look at verse number 10. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. Now, this is a big thought. It really is. The wisdom of God might be made known by the church. The people would look at the church and say, wow, look at the wisdom of God. Now, there is such a thing as the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God, and, and those are light years apart. And the Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes, wisdom brings success. But only God's wisdom brings success. Man's wisdom does not. And so... The church is supposed to, is to emanate, to emit the wisdom of God to the world. People are to stand back and say, wow, the wisdom of God. Look at it. Boy, that, that kind of puts us under a lot of pressure, doesn't it? Uh, but, but we feel that way. We don't want to do anything that would harm the testimony of the church, do we? We want people, and, and thanks be to God, and I, I can't figure out how God has protected our church all these years, outside of the grace of God that the local schools are helping us preach the gospel and don't know it. Uh, our people have invaded the schools, <laughs> and I think that's the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> and they have respect uh, for what we do, and they appreciate what we do up here. Uh, one of the teachers down here at Gastonville School, I, I love that school, by the way. I think that's, God is, is there pretty strong. Uh, some of the kids in our, our church were talking about, they had to do a report, and one of the kids did a report on Awana. You know, our program for the fifth graders down. And she was like extolling all the virtues in Awana, and she blew the class away. And so the teacher was so excited, she said, now let's just, write the, let's just write the telephone number of your church down on the board up here so the other kids can call and see if they can get involved. Wow, isn't that cool? Now, we're not divulging the name of that teacher. They could get in trouble, I guess. I don't know. But it's really cool because they realize... That, uh, that something's happened in the lives of the kids that come to our youth program here. And so, and so we're excited about that. I mean, that's unprecedented. It really is. By means of the church. 
Now, I want to show you something you've never seen before in this, I don't think, verse 10. That God might be made known by the church to principalities and powers in heavenly places. What are, what are those principalities and powers? They are good and evil angels. That's what they are. And so the audience around us, we want to exhibit the wisdom of God as best we can. And I think that the only way we can do that is by walking in the Spirit of the Lord. Because when we start flexing our, our muscles in the flesh, the wisdom of God goes right out the window. But when we always deflect the glory of God to God rather than take it upon ourselves, I'll tell you, I think we get a little bit of wisdom there. But here we find that we, not, we have an audience right outside the church, but we have an audience that we cannot see. They can see us. They can see into our world, but we can't see into their world. They are angels. That's what verse 10 is talking about right here. The wisdom of God is displayed to principalities and powers. Good angels. Let's think about them for a minute. Oh, how thankful I am for them. I see them everywhere, even though I cannot see them. I pray for them because the Bible says in Hebrews 1.14, they're my, they're my servants, ministers, sent forth to minister for me, heirs of salvation. I call on God to send them to me to protect me and my family. Uh, I love Luke 15.10. Let's read it together. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Angels can see into our world. We can't see into theirs. They're around us today. We don't know how many are here, but I'll tell you what, they're here. And you know what they're doing? They're cheering us on as we preach the gospel. And when somebody comes from death to life, from darkness to light, they have a party. They're looking for an excuse for a party, like we are. And when somebody comes to Christ, there is joy in the presence of the angels. And they say, hey, look down there last night at the church. This broken-hearted lady came to tell her story of woe. But now look, she has found the way out, deliverance and peace in her heart. Let's have a party. The angels of God are cheering us on. But then there are the demons, and they are jeering us. They are, they are seeing the true wisdom of God in the church. The church is not supposed to be about a social event, although it's nice to be social every now and then. But the church, the church of Christ is to have its main goal, the winning of the lost. There are so many lost people out here. They're around us everywhere. Our whole community is filled with them. Uh, where you work, they are everywhere. Uh, and so the demons are coming against us as we preach the gospel. But the Bible says in Colossians 1.13, He has delivered us from the power of darkness. And so whenever somebody comes to Christ, the good angels cheer. The demons that look on are depressed. And we want to keep them as depressed as we can. That's our goal. And then there is finally the power He uses to wake up the world. And verse number 20 is the power of the Holy Spirit. The power that is at work in us. Listen, I can't do this work and neither can you. Uh, I know that some of you are very gifted and talented and educated and refined and on and on and on I could go. But listen, you can't do the work of God. The work of God is too tough for you no matter how good you are. Uh, but in the Spirit, you can do the work of God. In the Spirit. Whenever you step out of your comfort zone and you step out by faith, that's when God goes to work. 
And it's scary territory over there, but it gives the opportunity for God to get the glory and not you. And so he says, this is the power that God uses to wake up the world. We need a spirit-filled church. We really do. We need a church who depends upon the spirit. And I'm always reminded of Ezekiel 4, 6. Zerubbabel was going on a mission to rebuild the part of Jerusalem. And God said, now listen, before you go, I want you to know this. It's not by your might, it's not by your power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And so we have to keep that in perspective. Now, I love this little story I've just told you. I'm, I'm literally in love with it. Because here God reached down at the lowest place and took this person and shook off the sinfulness of his life and impelled him propelled him to go wake up the world and I'll tell you, he did it. He did it. Now, God's not asking you to do that, but he is asking you to do this. He's asking you to wake up your world, your circle of influence. It's a lot smaller. Thanks be to God. It's a lot smaller, but it's a big job. It's your family. Your kids, their kids, your extended family, the people that work with you. That's your circle of influence. That's your world. Uh, God saved you for a purpose. It's just not for you to come to church and feel good after the service. It's for you to go out and look the world in the eye with the power of the Holy Spirit and wake up your world. Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'd like to ask those who are serving communion to come forward, please, at this time. And as they do that and get in their place, I'd like to ask you to look into your heart this morning. Maybe you came into this church and you felt, boy, I'll tell you what, I can never...